Family Law webinar series on LGBT issues brought to you by O'Neill Wasaki. Got to get our little plug in. Um, and I'm Michelle O'Neill. I am the senior shareholder of O'Neill Wasaki. I'm joined by Carrie Bertrand and Nick Rodriguez, uh, associate attorneys here at our firm. This is session three of our webinar where we are going to talk about prejudices against gay and lesbian issues in courts. And this, uh, this session is qualified for a half hour of CLE credit with a quarter hour of ethics credit. Um, so this is gonna be generally a little bit more just kind of uh, discussion oriented and opinionated, uh, uh, opinionated opinions, how's that? <laughs> um, about how we you know, approach different issues and courts and everything. Obviously we can't talk about any of our own cases and uh, we won't talk about any courts specifically, but we will just generally talk about friendly and unfriendly courts. Uh, not gonna be as much technical legal stuff like the other presentations have been. So let's uh, get started. Um, Carrie, what do you think is the most important question whenever you have a gay or a lesbian client come in to meet with you about a family law issue? Kind of what's the first thing that you're looking at um, in, in helping them navigate their case? Um, generally, I want to know what their goals are, what their objective is at the end of the day. Um, and I think knowing what that goal is, then I can try to guide them through what, what we can and can't help them with, depending on how reasonable that goal is. But um, did you have a specific question? No, you were Nick, thinking? What's, oh. what's the most important thing whenever a client comes in to talk to you? Well, first, I usually let them vent. <laughs> um, so I know there's a lot of emotion when they come meet with us for the first time. So I just kind of let them, you know, go on about what's going on with regard, respect to their case. Um, what are the, some of the issues are, you know, you know, kind of conflicted with and how can we resolve that in a one, like piggy, piggybacking off of what Carrie said, um, what their goals are and then how can we find a legal remedy to help navigate, to get to those goals. Yeah. And so I, really just like for them to vent with me and talk about you know their issues and stuff like that. Nick's very, tr it's very true, he's correct on that. Uh, sometimes it feels like a counseling session <laughs> and you gotta kinda get them through the initial counseling yeah. phase and, and I always, I always <laughs> kinda break it up into, <clears throat> into three parts whenever I'm meeting with any new client, not just a, a client with a, a same sex or gay and lesbian issue. I break it up into three parts. The first part is I let them kind of talk and vent and I gather information and listen and maybe give some guided questions during that. The second part is me imparting to them kind of what the law is that applies to their situation, educating. And then the last part is kind of that more action-oriented, you know, strategy. What would we do? <laughs> What's the plan? How mm -hmm. much is it going to cost? You know, <laughs> talking about what court they're in, where they're at, how that's gonna affect them. In other words, you know, you get the facts and then you talk about the law and then you talk about the law applied to the facts. Sometimes with, uh, with gay and lesbian clients, that uh, has to involve a discussion about the court they're in. Yes. So how, how do you approach it whenever they're talking about, you know, where they live or where, what court that it could be filed in? How do you approach that in that initial conversation? I'm pretty direct with the clients about it. Uh, a lot of times they already know um, and they're already nervous about it. And this happens even in 
heterosexual couples with like dads who think they're going to be in a court that's maybe pro mom or even you know pro dad co- uh, courts. Um, but it especially is a sensitive issue in you know where clients perceive that a county is more conservative and they're not going to have the same rights they would have in a more liberal county. You know, one of the things that I'm finding is that even in the counties that we call the more conservative counties or the counties that we would perceive as being unfriendly to gay or lesbian issues, um, what I'm finding is that that there's actually that that's actually a false perception in a lot of it situations. Yes. That some of the judges that we might would think of as being super conservative or maybe not friendly to the gay and lesbian issues are actually quite friendly and, and very open. Um, and, and so I feel like that's changing some. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that, that it's opening up a little bit, even in the counties where we don't think of it as being open. I totally yeah, agree. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, what I'm finding is that some of the judges <clears throat> that we practice in front of, you know, when you get to know them, you'll find out they have a, a brother who's gay or um, an ex-husband who's gay. And so they actually have, you know, a little bit more familiarity with the issues and maybe not such a prejudice against them as maybe they once would have had. Um, So I think that goes back to kind of the old adage of, of a good lawyer knows the law and a great lawyer knows the judge. So, (laughs) you know, whenever you're first consulting with a client, like, figuring out where they live. Is that a judge that you're familiar with? Is there somebody that you know that is familiar with that judge if you're not? Mm -hmm. And kind of learning the backstory about that judge can be very helpful in evaluating how you proceed on your case. And really that, I mean, that applies to any case. That's not just a a case with gay and lesbian issues. I mean, it's any case, Mm -hmm. right? Knowing if you've got a case that's involving homeschooling, knowing whether the judge has homeschooled their children is a pretty vital fact, right? Yeah. That's not necessarily going to be a readily available thing to know about them. So, um, you know, how, let's, let's talk about, uh, let's stick with the gay and lesbian questions right now, and then maybe we'll branch off into some of the other issues um, uh, as we go through this. But, but just strictly talking about the the gay and lesbian issues same-sex divorce gay and lesbian custody issues so um how do you go about if you are in a court that you know is affirmatively not going to be open to for example a a client who's let's just set up a scenario Uh, You've got a a heterosexual divorce, man and woman getting a divorce. The woman decides that she is a lesbian exiting the relationship and they have a child and there's custody issues. So her preferences going forward are an issue in the case. And you have a judge who is not necessarily super friendly to her being a lesbian. How would you approach that case? You can't get out of his court, right? I said it's a he, but it could be a she. Mm-hmm. So can first question, can you change the court? Uh, I mean, very rarely yeah. I would think that would be an option. So probably not. Yeah. You're probably stuck in that court. So once a suit's filed, you almost can't transfer out of right. it. You can't pick a new judge. Mm-hmm. The uh, The remedy, if, if you think a judge is 
so biased against the case that you got to do something about it, you have to file a motion to recuse. Right. Mm-hmm. The motion to recuse standard is very, very high. Yes. Um, and it goes way beyond just, I don't, case. I don't like you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. So it almost never happens. Mm-hmm. So once a case is filed and you've got the judge picked out, I mean, you're pretty much stuck with that judge. So what are some tips and tricks and techniques that you can use if you're going to be in a court that's unfriendly to your client to help that client present their best case? My, my first thought would be to have a theme of best interest of the child. I would want to immediately take the focus off of my client and focus on what I think the court will be focusing on and should be focusing on, which is what is best for that child. You know, this isn't necessarily about mom or dad. This is about what's best for the child in the middle of this case and, you know, go from there. What experts can we have that come in and give good testimony and talk about what a great parent you are? You know, what counselors can we have you go talk to or have the child go talk to? Or, you know, what um, experts are a big deal, actually, as far as showing stability for the parent and, and the child and how little of an issue this really is. And um, I think having a theme and and not necessarily creating a distraction but making the case what it should be about and not you know what the court may make it about that's more the distraction to me what do you think nick yeah i I mean i would agree i think you know acknowledging or not acknowledging the fact that you know she's in or now she's uh wanting to you know be a part of a lesbian relationship you know i think it's not putting the focus on that, but putting the focus on her being a mother first and everything else, I mean, is really not an issue, um, is what Carrie was saying. So do you think it would matter in our in our hypothetical case scenario if she actually was in another relationship while she's getting a divorce versus just expressing the intention in the future? Yeah, I think that matters in any yeah. case. If one party or both have already moved on, I don't think courts like that ever. Or committed adultery. Yeah. Well, that would marriage. be adultery. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, they're still married, Nick. Yeah. 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 I mean, so if they're still married, and, and I agree with you, I think in any case where you're in, in any divorce suit, if you have a, a client who is actively and openly dating other people or dating a particular person, moved on in the relationship, I definitely think that's an issue in any case. And I think in an issue with a gay or lesbian question, I think that would actually be a little bit heightened because it, like right. you said, it would focus the, the evidence, it would focus everybody back on the behavior of the parent, the not necessarily what's, what's good for the child. Right. So and if you're looking at it from the judge's perspective, you've now involved the child with another person, you know, and yeah. have moved on in your relationship with another person, you know, none of that's gonna look like best interest of the child to the court, so. Well, and there's a lot of courts that we practice in front of that have standing orders that prohibit yes. overnight guests mm-hmm. during the litigation um, of a romantic nature. Um, so that would, that would also be a problem. It could create a problem for the client to be put in a negative light uh, in front of the, the court. And like you said, it creates other issues that distract from the best interest of the child. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, uh, you mentioned experts. Let's talk about hiring experts. So what kind of experts um, would you advise your client 
or even fact witnesses. I mean, what kind of witnesses would you look at having in a case where you were arguing for custody for a, a gay or lesbian client in a court that's not quite so friendly? Um, if I were trying to think like the judge, I think I would want to know that uh, the parent is emotionally and mentally stable. So I'm thinking psychiatrist, psychologist, counselor, someone who can say, you know, this she's not jumped off the deep end or he's not making this crazy life decision because he's bipolar or he's depressed or she's, you know. Or that sexuality is fluid, um, you know, and that sometimes people realize at an older age because, like I said, we're kind of thought to think about, um, you know, being a lesbian and being gay as some sort of a choice, uh, which, you know, we know psychology tells us that it's not. Um, and so I think, you know, kind of going off of that, I think having someone testify as to like as psychologists or some sort of saying, you know, these are things that can be realized later in life, I think is evidence of, you know, this mom is not having an emotional breakdown or a mental breakdown. So I think that would be good evidence of that. And then I would think just um, normal parenting evidence. I mean, just uh, evidence of the, the person acting as a parent, um, you know, without regard to whether their, their sexual orientation is right. in question. And most parents do parent on a daily basis, and it has nothing to do with their yeah. sexual preference. So. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> so bouncing off of something that, that Nick said, I mean, how far down the – the orientation fluidity i mean if you're in an unfriendly court how far down that do you go yeah he, he surprised me with that one i'm like i think <laughs> i feel like that would take a lot of education yeah. yeah because i don't know that some courts would be ready to hear that word or even know what it meant but i mean if you get a good enough expert who can you know baby step it and teach the the judge you know this is let your mind think a little <laughs> broader well and it kind but, of goes back to your first point with mm -hmm. let's try not to, you know, inflate that issue of, you know, go or going down that rabbit hole of like, okay, let's, let's make this the focus. Minimize of the case. it a little. Yeah. Yeah. Let's try to minimize as much as we can. Yeah. So, so well, uh, but I think that, you know, that gender fluidity or, or orientation fluidity, I mean, it's an interesting topic because yes. some of the more conservative viewpoints view sexual orientation as being one or the other. And I think you kind of said this earlier that, <clears throat> that um, you know, biology says that, you know, you're born a certain way, but you may not realize it until later in life. And there may be fluidity in that. And I guess when you talk about LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender, there may be even people who are bisexual mm -hmm. who at some times in their life prefer to be one thing and in other times in their life prefer another choice of orientation. And, uh, you know, and so there may need to be some education on fluidity of those choices as, as you age or find a different place in life. Agreed. Yeah. And I think if you're going to take the route of trying to educate the court, then you want to maybe find an expert that you already know that this judge likes, respects, and they're going to listen to and be open to what they say. So that would require some research and some effort on the attorney's part to make sure that person's 
Well, I mean, and that's kind of that 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 presents a little bit of a balance problem, right? Mm-hmm. Because in some of the smaller rural counties in Texas, you may not have a lot of choices of right. experts, and those experts may even be super conservative as well, mm-hmm. and which means you may have to bring in an expert from Austin, Dallas, Houston, or maybe even outside California. of Texas mm-hmm. um, to educate on some of those those issues, depending on what the issues are. Right. Um, and so how do you kind of balance that? We want a local person versus, um, you know, we want somebody who's more uh, forward thinking on some of these issues. How do you balance that? Um, I, I think the more you can narrow the specific issues you want the experts to address, you might be able to split it and say, well, I may have to bring in an expert from somewhere else to talk about the fluidity, but this expert can talk about the parenting and how it's a non-issue. And then somewhere between the two, the judge can draw his or her own conclusions as far as, you know, this is really not an issue and she's a really good parent, you know? And I think if you're bringing someone from like out of state or someone who's not from the area, I think a judge sometimes is reluctant to take the entirety maybe of their expert opinion. So you might want to keep it very narrow to be like, if you're going to talk on, or this expert will testify to this particular this one issue, issue. Mm-hmm. and then we're going to have all these other psychologists or uh, experts, you know, discuss things related to the larger issues. Right. So. Uh, and I like that point. I mean, I, you could have, you know, a more global expert mm-hmm. or maybe the custody evaluator does more of the custody evaluation, looking into everybody. You could have your own parenting expert who looks at kind of a one-sided evaluation of your client and their relationship and then maybe have the separate expert that is just on gender issues or just on sexual orientation issues that could testify in a very limited scope as to that that specific whatever it is that's going on in that case. Mm-hmm. What, you know, how do you deal with the, you know, the judge who says, uh, I'm not gonna, I don't want this child exposed to that lesbian lifestyle. I mean. What do you do when you're in front of a judge like that and you're representing a, a lesbian or a gay client who's, who talks about it as a lifestyle? Michelle has trained me to preserve error. <laughs> <laughs> preserve error. That's one way. I, I, I might need to sure. remind the court of, about the Constitution. And <laughs> code of judicial ethics. <laughs> but yeah, that you, you're going to have to tiptoe because, yeah, yeah, you're stuck in that court and this is what the judge is saying. So, I mean, it's a problem. Well, and what I would say is find commonality, you know, try to find, try, I mean, if you can, try to find commonality where the judge looks at your client and sees them as having something in common with him or her. So, you know, if you have, for example, if you have a female judge and you notice that the female judge is wearing pants in the courtroom, then you could maybe make an argument kind of likening some things back to when women couldn't wear pants in the courtroom. Um, And so, you know, find some sort of commonality. Maybe you have a judge, based on your research, the judge is interested in NASCAR. So you have your client talk about NASCAR. I mean, that kind of goes back to knowing the judge. Mm -hmm. And it goes even further than just knowing their viewpoints on this issue or that issue, but kind of finding that commonality that you know that you can have them have your client be like them in some way if you can possibly find that yeah absolutely and i think if you can find something where i think people can identify with things that they're affected by so you can find that expose it i mean i think at the end of the day i mean judges are humans 
And, you know, they're, they're lawyers. They're, they're lawyers that used to practice just like we did. And, you know, now they're in a different aspect of, of the roles that we play, but they're still just people. And so they still have, you know, they still have prejudices. They still have first impressions. They still have, you know, likes and dislikes. And, you know, they may like vanilla ice cream or strawberry <laughs> ice cream. I mean, they, you know, they still have kind of all those things that we humans have. And I think sometimes as lawyers, we tend to forget that judges are just human and that they still have some of those human comp, uh, components that you can, you know, actually, you know, address. So, um, you know, so finding those commonalities, you know, especially whenever you're in a small county, um, it's very likely that the judge is already gonna know your client, whether they're gay, lesbian, or otherwise. I mean, mm -hmm. whatever they are, the judge may very well already know the client. Mm -hmm. And that can be good or bad. I mean, the judge may, already have an opinion about your client regardless of their orientation the judge may have an opinion about them as a person or as a hard worker or as a parent or whatever in those small counties i mean they may see the the parent they may already see the parent at the ball games or whatever you know or at church so um they may have already formed some opinions about your client when they're in those small towns like that and you may already have a have a hard row to hoe, uh, <laughs> to use a Texas saying, um, you know, in front of that in front of that judge, right? Yeah. One of the tricks that I like to use that I think is <clears throat> is way underused in family law and what we do um, is a day in the life video or a video that kind of is a compilation showing illustrating the client as a parent. Um, and, and I think those are very underutilized. We used to use them a lot more, I think, um, in days gone past um, than we do now. And I think some of the reasons we don't is because of the restrictions that we have a lot of times on our time, time. Mm -hmm. um, and the difficulty of getting some evidence like that video evidence used in court. But I think it can be so powerful. And lawyers use day in the life videos in other areas of law, like in um, accident, uh, injury law, those kind of things to show the maybe the new disability of a client after an accident had happened to show damages. But I think in, in family law, we underutilize those. And this to me would be a prime example of a time where a day in the life video um, might be something that could be super helpful in persuading the judge and in kind of seeing that commonality, identifying the client not as a lesbian or not as a gay person but back to that as a parent, parent thing a yeah. Yeah. um so you know what i what i recommend is you know doing some some video get a production guy like our guy who's doing <laughs> our producing today you know to follow the client around acting like a parent in some ways now obviously you have discovery you have to produce those t t type of things and whatever but, uh, you know, have somebody follow them around doing those parenting things and, and push it all together into a, a little production video of the client as a parent. And it identifies, you know, them and shows them in that role where when you're sitting in a courtroom, courtrooms are so 
bland and they just you don't even most of the time the judges don't even see the child other than maybe in a picture if you introduce pictures which I think pictures are a very important part of the evidence mm-hmm. but you know the, ch- the judge isn't necessarily going to even ever see the child and so having that video that shows the the uniquenesses of the child's personality or doing something the child likes and having the parent be involved in that you know kind of gives that that opportunity to to highlight the parent in that parenting role that the judge might otherwise not ever get to see um, you know if you don't have the budget to do that kind of day in the life video you can do that with even just videos Testimony. that they take it at, at baseball games mm-hmm. I mean just you know telephone cell phone videos um, you can do that with um, you can do that with pictures. If that's all you've got, then you can do pictures. You could even do like an, a slideshow presentation that's videoed um, with pictures or evidence like that. So, um, you know, so to me, those are some of the ways that you can more humanize. And that really, I mean, honestly, all of these tips apply, you know, to cases, no matter who your client is. I mean, you could have a, a client that's, um, you know, in a negative aspect in a court just for other reasons not you know a gay and lesbian issue so we're kind of popping up on the time here let's let's talk for just a minute about some of the fringe issues so um, you know for those of us in the in the city or those of us who are involved in LGBT advocacy they may not be fringe issues but in some of the courts in in Texas they may not have ever seen a transgender person Uh, They may not have ever seen a non-binary person. They may not have encountered somebody like that. So how do you handle having um, a client who is a transgender in a court that's never seen or heard really or knows what transgender means? Um, For me, I pretty much give the same advice across the board Uh, to a certain extent, you know, dress, groom, and behave appropriately for the situation. You're going to court. You want to show the judge and the court respect. Um, No profanity. Cover up your tattoos. No cleavage. Um, Downplay. If you have a bunch of piercings, I don't want to see them. Uh, Purple hair, you know, maybe go buy a box of dye. Save for the club. (laughs) Save, yeah. Yeah. extreme haircuts, anything, and it goes back to my theme, a focus on the child, anything that's drawing the attention to you, fix it, change it, because this isn't about you, and if you go in well, there... you're not saying change your transgender. No, 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 no. You're saying basically present yourself in the best light for the audience that's viewing Correct. you, which is the judge. When we appear in court in front of the judge, don't be attracting the attention to yourself. Um, you, you can maintain whatever, you know, if you're uh, transgender and wanting to dress female or male, or if you're non-binary and you don't really uh, wear clothing either way, that's fine. If you're dressed appropriately and you're being respectful and you're not drawing un- unwanted attention to yourself due to other, you know, distracting piercings, tattoos, purple hair. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. <laughs> I think that's just across the board for anyone. Um, you know, treat it like you're going to your grandmother's house. You know, you're not going to curse in front of your grandmother or, you know, stick your feet up on the table, you know, get up on the witness stand and just say something extremely Let it all hang out. Yeah, I mean. Don't you gum. Like, yeah, so there's, there's certain so. things, you know, that I think first impressions matter. And I think right. making a good first impression and a lasting impression. I mean, we all remember the kid in, in kindergarten who wet his pants. 
I mean, I think that was the first impression. I mean, people don't forget. So, same thing with the <laughs> judge. I think I don't wet your pants. Don't Nick, wet your pants. Nick's advice: <laughs> Don't wet your pants when court. you go in the courtroom. <laughs> but, you know, I think I think you know those those impressions matter. Yeah, I was that's, that's what Carrie was ultimately saying. Absolutely. So yeah, put your best foot forward, and you know, approach it with the solemnity that court requires and that everybody expects and keep the focus on the child. I mean, I I agree with you. I think that that is ultimately the bottom line of it is do everything you can to focus on the child. You'll never, ever go wrong if you make decisions about the best interest of the child and do everything you can to kind of take that focus on whatever those extraneous issues are off of you. Yep. All right. We'll wrap this one up. This is the... uh, end of our presentation on addressing prejudice against the gay and lesbian issues in courts. Uh, We're going to take a little bit of a break and we're going to move on. Our last presentation of this webinar is the recent case law developments in same-sex issues. We'll be back in just a minute.